they play the patriotism card against Democrats so well. And if playing that card means smearing actual vets and calling their courage into question, that's what they'll do. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Banter Podcast, episode number 18. This is your host, Ben Kern, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike Luciano. Mike, how are you today? I'm oddly encouraged. Just before we started recording this, the Supreme Court handed down a couple of decisions relating to Trump's tax returns and the long ongoing court battle that has culminated with these decisions. I'll just read an excerpt from the New York Times. The Supreme Court on Thursday cleared the way for prosecutors in New York to see President Trump's financial records. A stunning defeat for Mr. Trump, but a decision that probably means the records will be shielded from public scrutiny under grand jury secrecy rules until after the election and perhaps indefinitely. In a separate decision, the court ruled that Congress could not, at least for now, see many of the same records. The vote in both cases was seven to two. Chief Justice John Roberts wrote both majority opinions. And Alito and Thomas were the two dissenting in each case. So unfortunately, we won't be able to see these things anytime soon. And Congress can't see them right now. But the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, this is going to have to be be sorted out in court again. Uh, this is not, unfortunately, the, the end of it. But at least it's a step in the right direction. And, and the court ruled that the president does not enjoy absolute immunity from these subpoenas. This is just another mark against him heading into into November. He's going to have this this investigation going on. Uh, he's had it going on in, in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. And so it's just another straw on the camel's back. And hopefully in November, it'll break. It's unusual that we start off on such a positive note, Mike, I have to say. Well, it's all downhill from here. Uh, just to warn to warn the listeners out there. Now, I don't know if it's all downhill. But yes, we find some some good news here. But it's hard to find good news in our defense. And look, we don't we don't want to be talking about bad things, but it's 2020. Donald Trump is president. Bad things are going on and they have been going on for a while now. And one day we're going to have that episode where we talk about nothing but good things. One day it'll happen. I think it'll be probably November 4th. Um, that will be that'll be that. That's the first day I can see there being good news. I mean, one of our writers at the Banter uh, wrote a good piece today about it, how to kick a man when he's down, and it's about how you cannot count Trump out until the very, very, very end, right? You know, he's still a live dog in this race. He's still, uh, even though he's down in the national polls, it still baffles me that people pay attention to national polls. Like, don't pay attention to what's happening nationally. Ignore all the national polls. Look at only what's happening in the swing states. If you look elsewhere, you're going to get, if you look at the national polls, you're going to get a very, you know, you're going to get very, very overconfident about what's going to happen in November. Ben, as you know, I try to avoid polls this early in the race, but uh, some of our viewers might be interested to hear uh, what those say. So what do the polls say right now? So, yes, if you look at the polls, there's a headline of 538. Biden's polling lead is big and steady. If you look at the national polls, Biden is 50.6% to Trump's 41.1%. Um, if you look at some of the swing states, the swing states, uh, it's looking very, very good for Biden. If you in Michigan, he's up by 9.1 percentage points. In in Pennsylvania, 7.6, and Wisconsin, 8.1, and in Arizona, 3.1. I think this is a very, very clear message that Trump 
has to turn things around dramatically if he wants to win this race. You know, I still think it's not, it's too close in some of these swing states, but I mean, Arizona didn't used to be a swing state. Now it is. So like Biden is not only beating Trump in uh, traditional swing states, well, that have been swing states for the past sort of 10 years, um, but he's actually also beating him in, in new states that have now opened up in, in big time in, in favor of the Democrats. So this is, you know, Biden is basically redrawing the map. And I think that that um, the more damaging news that comes out against Trump, the worse this is going to be. So, yeah, I think, we, you know, Trump is in extremely dangerous territory here if he keeps going on the tra- trajectory. And apparently a lot of his staff are begging him to change course, but he's obviously incapable of not engaging in petty feuds with celebrities and media personalities and, you know, draping himself in the Confederate flag, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So this is, you know, again, okay, all this bodes well for Biden. Um, not sure uh, whether we, how confident we should be I think it's always good to to feel um, threatened as if like, you know, Trump is always incredibly dangerous, um, but it's still looking good. You mentioned Arizona being a swing state. We got a hint of this a couple of years ago when Kirsten Cinema, an openly bisexual, religiously unaffiliated person, beat uh, Martha McSally. Uh, who is in trouble again, polling-wise, because she was appointed to uh, replace uh, John Kyle by by the governor there. So she's up for re-election again. I've already weighed in on this race. I predicted that she would lose. Uh, Martha McSally is an Air Force veteran, but she is going up a, a Navy veteran who is also an astronaut. But they're both former members of the military, and I just wanted to talk a little bit about how Republicans, including Trump, treat members of the military who disagree with them. I'm really getting tired of this monopoly that Republicans have on being the pro-America, pro-military, pro-soldiers, pro-vets party. Remember when they freaked out because Obama saluted a soldier while he was holding a latte? They talked about that like Obama had kicked the guy in the nuts. But Republicans, this is the party that supposedly reveres war heroes and patriots. And yet, if the war hero is on the side of the other side of the political aisle, then suddenly it becomes totally okay to question their patriotism and even their actual military records. And we got a very stark example of that this week with Tucker Carlson and what he said about Senator Tammy Duckworth who served in Iraq and lost both her legs. And, and I want to be clear, I'm not saying soldiers and veterans are beyond criticism. That's not what I'm saying. Some of them have done bad things and advocate bad policies, and all of that is fair game. What I am talking about is how Republicans on numerous occasions have attacked the patriotism and even the military records of soldiers and vets because they were Democrats or they said things that the Republicans didn't like. In which case, they go from, thank you for your service, to, oh, you're running against me, or our candidate, or you said something I didn't like. Well, let me tell the voters all the ways in which you're not patriotic. Basically, Trump opened up the, he was the one who revealed the Republican Party's true colors on this, because he just came out and did it. He just smeared John McCain, you know, he he made it okay for Republicans finally to do away with their fake patriotism. 
That's, well, that's what it seems like to me. Well, well, Republicans have been working up to this for years now. Okay, let's step into the time machine back to 2002 in the U.S. Senate race in Georgia. Democratic incumbent Max Cleland, who lost three limbs in the Vietnam War, is challenged by Saxby Chambliss. This is a guy who didn't serve and also, like Donald Trump, got deferments during that same Vietnam War, which, look, just because you get a deferment, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, especially during a war that just should never have been waged in the Vietnam War. But I want to play an ad that the Chambliss campaign ran against Cleveland. And just know this ad, it's got a picture of Osama bin Laden and Saddam Hussein. Remember, this is the first federal election after 9-11, And Americans were scared out of their minds, and national security is the number one issue, along with a looming war in Iraq. Here is that ad that – just know that this is an ad from the Chambliss campaign. This is not some PAC running this ad. This is an actual ad run by Cleland's opponent. As America faces terrorists and extremist dictators, Max Cleland runs television ads claiming he has the courage to lead. He says he supports President Bush at every opportunity, but that's not the truth. Since July, Max Cleland has voted against the president's vital homeland security efforts 11 times. Max Cleland says he has the courage to lead, but the record proves Max Cleland is just misleading. If you get a draft deferment during a war and the guy you're running against fought in that war and lost all but one of his limbs in that war, you should shut the fuck up about your opponent's commitment to America and his courage. Am I wrong? At a minimum, at a bare minimum, right? Show some respect as well. Rather, you know, they should be showing some respect to him. This is kind of where we've been going for the past 20 years, I think. And that's, you know, the kind of, uh, it's the green light for the right to smear uh, Democrats, um, even if they've had three of their limbs blown off in a war. Yeah. Years later, Chambliss was asked if he regretted running the ad, and he said no, naturally. But so now I want to jump ahead to the 2004 presidential election, George W. Bush versus John Kerry. That's John Kerry, who also went to Vietnam. And John Kerry received Purple Hearts, and he famously came back from Vietnam and testified before Congress that the United States should not be in Vietnam. And he told them all of the crazy things that he saw over there, including war crimes committed by U.S. soldiers. But let's talk about Bush's military service. I want to read an excerpt from the Washington Post, July 28, 1999, and I'm quoting directly here. It was May 27, 1968, at the height of the Vietnam War. Bush was 12 days away from losing his student deferment from the draft at a time when Americans were dying in combat at the rate of 350 a week. The unit Bush wanted to join offered him the chance to fulfill his military commitment at a base in Texas. It was seen as an escape route from Vietnam by many men his age and usually had a long waiting list. Bush had scored only 25% on a pilot aptitude test, the lowest acceptable grade. But his father was then a congressman from Houston and the commanders of the Texas Guard clearly had an appreciation for politics. Bush was sworn in as an airman the day he applied, end quote. Okay, so powerful daddy gets W out of serving in Vietnam by getting him into the Texas Air National Guard. So in 2004, Bush is up for re-election against Kerry, and Kerry infamously gets swift-boated 
by the Swift Boat Veterans for Truth Pack. And you may remember these were ads that featured some veterans who were outraged that Kerry said there were war crimes committed by the U.S., which is absolutely true. We know that with Milai being the most famous massacre. But in fact, like the whole war was basically a war crime, but that's an entirely different podcast. So these guys, they accused Kerry of lying to get his bronze star, lying to get one of his his three purple hearts. I believe he had three. Apparently, the Swift Boat vets didn't think that on, on that occasion, Kerry wasn't hurt enough to earn it. And Republicans and Fox News lap this up. Kerry's a liar. He's a turncoat. He's not a real hero. So suddenly, a race between a decorated veteran who volunteered to go to Vietnam and the guy whose congressman dad got him out of serving in Vietnam suddenly becomes a race about how the decorated veteran is something other than a decorated veteran. And of course, Bush wins, along with his vice president, Dick Cheney who you may also know got draft deferments as well, five to be exact. This is one of the biggest warmongers in U.S. history, and he couldn't be bothered to serve when he had the chance to. What a shocker. You know, well, the chicken hawks, I mean, that was the that was the um, the, but the neocons, right, the chicken hawks who were all who were all gung-ho about blowing everybody else's country up, but had refused service themselves. They were quite happy to send their own other people's kids to war. Uh, obviously didn't want their own kids to go to war or, you know, had never shown the courage um, of their convictions themselves. I mean, I think this is why John McCain actually kind of had a lot of disdain for characters like Dick Cheney and, um, and George W. Bush. I mean, not that, I was a huge John McCain fan, but at least the guy was consistent. Yeah, he was a kind of pro-war maniac, but he was willing to go and fight in these wars. And he had no problem with his kids going off to war as well. I'm glad you mentioned John McCain, because the next clip I have mentions him. You can probably guess what it's going to be. I supported him for president. I raised a million dollars for him. It's a lot of money. I supported him. He lost. He let us down. But, you know, he lost. So I never liked him as much after that because I don't like losers. But, but Frank, he's Frank, let me get hero. to it. He's he hit me. Hero. He's not a war hero. He's a war hero. He's a war Five hero. And a half years he's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. Do you he's agree with that? He's a war hero because he was captured, okay? That was in July 2015 when he was running for president. And the Republicans voted for him anyway. They vote for the draft deferment recipient who trashed someone who fought in the war that Trump avoided at all costs. And I'm noticing a theme here in these 21st century American elections. Having draft deferments on your resume and bashing the people who actually served seems to be a winning campaign strategy for a lot of Republicans. The allegedly pro-American, pro-military pro-veteran party. And I have some other examples for you. And then this, this actually brings us up to the present year, these other examples that I have. You know, this stuff makes me sick. Uh, it, re- it really, really does, because it just kind of shows you um, how fake the Republican Party is and how fake uh, the right-wing movement is now in America and how full of um, shit they are, basically, you know? It's, uh, the, you know, the pretense of, of, of having respect for the military. They don't respect the military at all. They don't respect war heroes. And, um, you know, I think Trump has kind of definitively proved that. 
Look, if, if we apply the standards that they themselves set, this kind of lionization of, and, and I do think sometimes we fetishize the military, but these are the rules that the Republicans have put forth, or they say they're playing by, and they're not adhering to their own standards. They're, they, you know, calling into question, you know, the patriotism and, and heroism of these soldiers. But so to bring us up to the present year, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, who just last week retired from the Army, and he was famously kicked off the National Security Council. This is another decorated soldier, another Purple Heart recipient. He was injured in a roadside bomb attack in Iraq. Vindman just retired because his lawyer says he's faced a campaign of retaliation and bullying from the Trump administration because Vindman had the nerve to comply with a congressional subpoena. You'll remember he was called by the House of Representatives to testify about what he heard on that infamous phone call where Trump asked Ukrainian President Zelensky to do him a favor and investigate Hunter Biden and implied that release of the uh, foreign aid to Ukraine was contingent upon that investigation happening. Vindman was one of the people listening in on that phone call and Congress asked him to testify about what he heard. And he did that. And obviously, you know, he said he was disturbed by what he heard. And so obviously this means that Vindman uh, has just been trashed relentlessly by conservatives. He was born in Ukraine when it was part of the Soviet Union, and his family moved him here when he was like three or four years old. He's as American as any other American, and yet the narrative in right-wing circles is that he has more loyalty to Ukraine than the United States. And uh, here's, here's your buddy, Ben, Tucker Carlson, speaking with uh, Devin Nunes earlier this year about Vindman. Just say, look, thank you for your service. Just get off the premises because they go work for Ukraine. Spy on them, right? Well, and that's <laughs> maybe, maybe I, he will at some point. Yeah, go off to Ukraine. And Noon says, yeah, maybe he will. Go off. Hey, thank you for your service. Go back to Ukraine. Mike, why are you doing this, man? Why are you playing Tucker Carlson's clips to me? You know, I've I've been cooling down from from uh, Tucker Carlson rage for for uh, for at least a week now. Um, and now you've made me put me in a, in a in an uncontrollable rage again just by listening to his voice. Well, I'm going to turn it up a notch. This is kind of your fault because you introduced Tucker Carlson into the <laughs> you introduced him into the banter podcast bloodstream. But why I'm doing this this week? So if you think that comment about Vinman was bad, this week he said something that really set me off and got me thinking about how conservatives treat smear the patriotism of veterans that they disagree with. This, this is just, it's absolutely beyond the pale. So he's had a back and forth with Senator Tammy Duckworth, who I mentioned, uh, of Illinois, lost both legs in Iraq. And I guess Carlson was really irked by something she said, she was asked on CNN a while ago whether she thought statues of slave owners like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson should come down. And she responded by saying, quote, well, let me just say that we should start off by having a national dialogue on it at some point. That was, from what I saw, the strongest thing that she said about you know, how Jefferson. controversial, how controversial. Right. But but Tucker got really he he got really pissed off at that. So it, here here's here's what he had to say. 
this luminary. You're not supposed to criticize Tammy Duckworth in any way because she once served in the military. Most people just ignore her. But when Duckworth does speak in public, you're reminded what a deeply silly and unimpressive person she is. So what to make of all of this? Well, it's long been considered out of bounds to question a person's patriotism. It's a very strong charge, and we try not ever to make it. But in the face of all of this, the conclusion can't be avoided. These people actually hate America. There's no longer a question about that. You know, look, this is Tucker Carlson's sort of speciality is um, uh, making these sort of uh, uh, horrible. What You know, the thing that really gets me about Tucker Carlson is just how nasty he is. He's such a sort of malevolent, nasty, slimy, scummy person. Uh, and, you know, he knows sort of exactly how to play his audience, you know, where he, he dresses the whole thing up by saying, I know, you know, look, we want to be respectful of military people. And we don't, you know, we don't like criticizing people, but here I'm going to do it anyway. You know, um, this is what Tucker Carlson kind of specializes in is by dressing things up behind. He tells the truth. He tells, you know, like a 30 percent of what he says is probably true. Um, and he uses says that the 30 percent is used to disguise the kind of disgusting white nationalism and, and xenophobia. The rest of his dis- of his bigoted commentary, you, you know, so when he's criticizing Tammy Duckworth, look, basically what it is, it's a minority woman. Okay, so this is Tucker Carlson's speciality is attacking minority women and basically claiming that they don't love America, even though this woman had both her legs blown off fighting for America. You know, it's ridiculous. What did Tucker Carlson ever do? Where did who could Tucker Carlson uh, fight for? Did he ever sign up to the military? I mean, this guy's probably never been in a fist fight, let alone uh, signing up for a foreign war that he supported. And yes, Tucker Carlson did support the the Iraq War and the Afghanistan War. So yeah, I mean, look, this is typical typical Tucker Carlson, which is to make these kind of disgusting smear smears of of uh, his of Trump's political opponents to, you know, you've got to understand what, what Tucker Carlson's role here is. Tucker Carlson's role here is to intellectualize Trump, right? He's to intellectualize Trumpism and make Trump palatable to the middle of America. And this is how he does it. He does it by any means necessary. And if that means smearing uh, a veteran for saying something completely innocuous, I mean, like you said, it wasn't particularly uh, a bold statement or anything. She said, you know, we should talk about it. I, I fail to see how her comments can be construed as she hates America. I mean, I don't know. Am I missing something here? No, you're not missing anything. And it actually got worse. So she responded with a great line. She said, walk a mile in my legs and then tell me whether or not I love America. Just an absolutely perfect response. Tucker Carlson's not going to let it go. So here's what he had to say. So we called her office and we invited her on the show. Her flack informed us that before even considering our request, we must first issue a public apology for criticizing Tammy Duckworth. In other words, I will not debate you until first you admit you're completely wrong. Keep in mind, Tammy Duckworth is not a child, at least not technically. She is a sitting United States senator who is often described as a hero. Yet Duckworth is too afraid to defend her own statements on a cable TV show. What a coward. What a coward. You know, yeah, as you point out, Ben, Carlson never served in the military. Instead, he serves as the heir to the Swanson frozen food empire. Just a silver spoon, pencil neck dickhead. But this leads us to something we actually didn't cover last week that isn't even like in the news anymore, and that's the Russian bounties. So we recently learned that 
in one of Trump's daily briefings that he got back in February, there was some intelligence indicating that Russia was offering bounties to Taliban fighters in Afghanistan who killed U.S. soldiers. There's there's doesn't seem to be any evidence that that um, has resulted in the deaths of U.S. soldiers. Um, that can be like a, a tough thing to to confirm. But this was something that was in his briefing. And the reaction from Trump was nothing. And it's not even clear he took in this information because we know he doesn't like to read. Maybe he was briefed orally on it. Who knows? It's unclear what Trump knew and when he knew it. But what is clear is that Trump has done nothing about this. Uh, he's threatened no do sanctions on Russia. He hasn't really made any condemnatory statements. And I hate to play this game, uh, as you know, but if this were Obama, Republicans would be having hearings on this. They'd be freaking out. But since it's Trump, the GOP, I guess the best they can do is say that Trump didn't know or the intelligence is sketchy, which is what I saw Roy Blunt of Missouri say. Uh, Republicans are twisting themselves into knots on this one because, again, Trump has put them in such an awkward position. But all of this, and we just reviewed a lot, all of this shows that conservatives do not give a shit about who served in the military and who was wounded and who received medals and who's patriotic. They don't give a shit about any of that. How many times do Republican candidates and pundits like Carlson have to call into question the service or the patriotism of people who actually served before this country realizes none of that matters to Republicans. They play the patriotism card against Democrats so well. And if playing that card means smearing actual vets and calling their courage into question, that's what they'll do. And it's amazing how they keep getting away with it. Not only do they keep getting away with it, they've been rewarded with electoral victories and high ratings. They're the one seen as the party of patriotism. It's, it's fucking unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it just kind of shows you where conservative, modern conservatism in America is at the moment. Um, you know, but you've basically got uh, this sort of majority of uh, Republicans are essentially fascists and essentially kind of these um, deranged white supremacists. I mean, this is, they're, they're like, they're, they genuinely are children. You know, they genuinely are spiteful adolescents, right? That have, have um, you know, they're fed red meat by Trump who feeds them lots of kind of racism and xenophobia and, you know, attacking the, owning the libs. Uh, and this is now kind of main, this is just basically mainstream Republicanism at the moment. You know, look, there's all sorts of problems on the left. I'm not, there's no doubt about that. But the the GOP now is a kind of a cesspool of, of just, of hatred and, and, uh, and racism and bigotry and it's all just completely normal now this all just taken they don't bother disguising it anymore i mean at least like you know the john mccain's of this world would have tried would attempt to disguise that kind of stuff you know he tried to keep the lid on it you know it was basically sarah palin it's the sarah sarah palin was the sort of progenitor of all of this type of politics where she essentially made being stupid and mean popular this paved the way for Donald Trump and this paved the way for these kind of resentful middle class white Americans to basically, you know, vent their frustration and rage on, on everybody that they've been secretly hating for the past 20 years. You know, and here we are. Here we are. We've reached it now when Tucker Carlson, with a straight face, can get on television and call Senator Tammy Duckworth 
a coward because he she won't come on his racist show. Nobody should go on Tucker Carlson's show. Nobody with any self-respect should go on Tucker Carlson's show. Tucker Carlson is a little fascist, right? You go on his show and you're legitimizing him, right? This is the problem with anybody I have that goes on Tucker Carlson's show to debate with Tucker Carlson. It's not the the fact that whether you you know whether whether it's a good debate or whether it's a healthy debate or not, but Tucker Carlson is a racist. You go on his show, you legitimize him, right? I, I think he should just be ignored. The more you ignore this guy, the more mainstream figures ignore Tucker Carlson, the less powerful he becomes. But because he because he has one of the highest ranked cable you know, cable news shows right now, you know he believes this makes him legitimate. But I don't think he's legitimate. I don't think Tucker Carlson's legitimate, and I don't think anybody should take him take him seriously. He's not serious. He's not a serious person. He's not a serious journalist. He's not a serious intellectual. Uh, you know, he's a race baiting KKK in disguise little dweeb who who really should have his ass kicked. He needed his ass kicked in high school a lot more than he did. But he probably went to one of those incredibly posh prep schools, so he was uh, was spared uh, spared the beatings he would have taken in public school. Um, yeah, there's there's there is uh, you know I would pay good money to watch Tucker Carlson get his ass kicked. Uh, you know he hangs around with millionaires, he hangs around with other rich white wankers just like him. Anyway, so I'm gonna I'm not gonna go on a complete rant if I keep talking about yeah. Tucker Carlson. I'm gonna have an aneurysm. He might not even believe the shit he's saying. The thing about him, remember, he had a show. He was a co-host on Crossfire on CNN for a while. That show got canceled. Then. He had a show on MSNBC, if you can believe that. Those shows did not do well, ratings-wise. This one is. Tucker Carlson wasn't bringing this brand of, of politics and cultural grievance to those shows. He has clearly found something that works with a very specific audience. A lot of this is just him leaning into his audience and and. It's about being the highest rated cable news show, and it's about making millions of dollars. And if he has to say all of this crazy shit to do it, that's what he's going to do. Well, because he didn't used to be. He didn't. He wasn't like this, right, was he, when he was uh, on MSNBC? He wasn't anywhere near as nasty and vindictive as he is now. You know, if, if you read about him during his very early years, he was actually uh, like a, a good journalist, and, you know, you have people who say, I, I don't recognize what I see on the TV now. I don't recognize him from, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, it, whatever it is. Yeah, I've, I've read some of Tucker Carlson's essay, you know, from 20 years ago. And, uh, yeah, I mean, interesting, you know, he, he, I don't necessarily agree with him, but he was interesting. But he really has, you know, turned, I, I don't know what's happened to him. I mean, I, th- I think it's a kind of, it's a grift, you know, I think he's grifting. I think he understands that this is, he's just very smart and understands that this is the way that the um, the wind is blowing right now and that fascism is, is popular. So he can, um, you know, he's going to ride that wave. Uh, you know, there are some discussions now about Tucker 2024. I don't know if you, you read about that, but um, we, ta- you know, we talked about it last week. Oh, we did, yeah, exactly. So this has been, this has been, this has kept me up all week. So I, I genuinely think that Tucker Carlson is the most dangerous person in America. I think he's incredibly dangerous, and I think that if he turns his eyes to politics, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether he'd be a good politician, but I think you know he's a good, uh, he's definitely good at what he does. You know, he's very, very skilled. He's a very skilled presenter. He's a very, he's very skilled at um, weaving uh, this narrative about Trump. Um, and about the Democrats as well. So he's he's an effective messenger. And 
basically, if you want to know what your average Republican is thinking, is basically where Tucker Carlson is. Okay, I think it's enough of that jerk. Uh, just to get back yeah. to the Supreme Court really quick before we go, we've had, I mean, we've had a lot of rulings come down in the last couple of weeks, but three of them in particular um, pertain to religion. And I'm just going to read just a quick summary of these decisions from the New York Times. The Supreme Court on Wednesday upheld a Trump administration regulation that lets employers with religious or moral objections limit women's access to birth control coverage under the Affordable Care Act and could result in as many as 126,000 women losing contraceptive coverage from their employers. In a second major decision on religious rights on Wednesday, the court ruled by another 7-2 to two vote that employment discrimination laws did not apply to teachers in religious schools. Last week, by a 5-4 to four vote, it said state programs that provide scholarships to students in private schools may not include religious schools. Okay, so this, to me, is maddening because... Religious organizations in this country take in billions and billions of dollars a year, and they don't have to pay taxes. And they always seem to be getting some new exemption from a law that everyone else has to abide by, you know, right? Like the Civil Rights Act. And yet, so many religious people just keep screaming about how they're being oppressed in this country. It's incredible. I mean, you, they get all of these exemptions. Like, they can now fire. Religious schools can fire teachers for being gay. Are you kidding me? What year is this? And, and shame on the two liberals who joined the, the, the conservative majority on that decision, Elena Kagan and Stephen Breyer. Shame on them. Right. I mean, it's this, you know, it's bizarre that this, these are still issues in America. And uh, I don't know whether this sort of um, feeds into the, um, this whole, the culture war, you know, that uh, has basically been the kind of divide, dividing lines in America, right? You know, America doesn't fight about economics anymore. I mean, the fact that it's basically a kind of a neoliberal capitalistic society is just a given. Um, the the lines are now on, you know, it's mostly along um, cultural lines and about religion and religious identity uh, and nationalistic identity, too. So, you know, again, I feel this this Supreme Court decision just, you know, it, again, it paves the way for a greater divide in America between the kind of the non-religious and the religious uh, and, um, you know, it again, it's very helpful to Republicans. Republicans love using these issues as a wedge. Uh, if, um, you know, Democrats say they want to change anything, uh, if they want to reverse, try to get, you know, decision reverse, if they believe that, this can be used as a GOP talking point saying the Democrats are, you know, want to curtail your religious freedom. They want to cancel Christmas. They want to, you know, force everybody to get married to, a, you know, to, to, to take part in gay weddings. You know, so again, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing that we're still having these conversations in 2020. I really, it's, it's very sad and it's very disappointing. It's really funny how Jesus, who led an extremely ascetic lifestyle, has inspired generations of extremely wealthy preachers who claim to follow Jesus and believe in him and that he died for their sins. 
and they have mansions and private jets and mega churches and million dollar book deals and cable deals. It's funny how a guy who said it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven and who also got really pissed off at the money changers and the temple and overturned the tables. It's really funny how, oh, and a guy who told his followers, leave all of your belongings behind and follow me. It's really funny how that guy has really birthed the Jerry Falwells and the Jerry Falwell Juniors and the Franklin Grahams and the Billy Grahams and the Joel Osteens, who are all millionaires. It's really funny how that works. Right. But I mean, you know, again, it's, it's, I, I think it's got nothing to do with doesn't really have anything to do with religion right it's to do with culture and white supremacy and um you know basically uh, manipulating christianity uh, or all the teachings of christ into something that serves their own sort of biases and their own prejudices you know but you're right you know like the, the character of jesus is and and uh, you know he is obviously the most christ-like christian there ever was because obviously he, he was Jesus Christ. So to be a Christian, you would obviously, one would expect them to be following the teachers of teachings of Christ, but they, but they don't. So it has, it, they, their religion is then nothing about what Jesus said or Jesus did or who Jesus was and, and comes about, basically becomes about identity politics. It's about being, having an identity. It's about being a Christian. It's about, having you know overt displays of religiosity of, of um you know idols and mega churches and judging other people and condemning those who who are against christ or who don't believe in 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 the bible as the literal word of god etc 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 but yeah none of it has anything to do with actual christianity or the or the teachings of jesus christ so you know again it's it, this is this is part of the culture war it's um identity politics again it's it's right wing it's white right wing identity politics that they claim isn't identity politics well ben now but they are following the teachings of Jesus, especially when it comes to abortion and homosexuality, which Jesus spoke out against in the gospel of nowhere to be found. Right. Yeah. The only thing Jesus did mention about that, he may have actually been talking about homosexuality when he talked about eunuchs. Uh, there's a line in the in the Bible. Uh, there's a line in the in the New Testament about uh, eunuchs and basically Jesus, and that could have basically meant, for, as I understand it, that could have basically meant homosexuals. And basically, Jesus said, "Yeah, some people are just born that way." That's your your theological factoid of the week. Yep, Jesus talked about eunuchs and said, "Leave them be. They're fine." <laughs> no, on that note, we'll uh, we'll leave it for we'll leave it for the uh, for, for the day, and we'll be back next week, everybody. Um, if you leave comments below, if you have any questions for us, if uh, any suggested topics, that would be awesome. Um, you can get a 50% discount on a band's membership if you look in the article that you're listening to at the moment. Uh, just click on the nice red button. There should be a 50% off discount. You can't get this any other way, so you can do it in your email or on the website only. Mike, do you have anything to add? Wear a mask. Wear a mask. But anyway, we'll see you next week, everybody. And uh, thanks very much for listening.